Hi, it's Erica Kohlberg. And before we dive into today's podcast episode, I have an exciting announcement that can help you save an extra $1,000 without having to penny pinch or change your lifestyle. On Monday, I'm running my free five-day savings challenge where you'll discover simple and creative ways that you can save extra money every month. And whatever you want to do with that extra money is up to you. I'll just show you how to save it. The challenge is totally free to join. All you need to do is go to erica.com slash go. Erica is with a K and you can secure your spot. By the way, these strategies that you're going to discover can help you easily save money, whether you're a budgeting novice or a finance expert, and they're going to get better and better throughout the week. But I have to tell you, I'm so excited about this and don't want you to miss out. In November of last year, we ran a savings challenge and had over 200,000 people sign up. And on average, people saved $1,005 that month through what they learned in the challenge. That means our challengers collectively saved over $200 million. So trust me when I say you don't want to miss out on this one. And the deadline to sign up to be part of this free challenge is Sunday, 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. So make sure you secure your spot and get free access today. Again, that's erica.com slash go, E-R-I-K-A dot com slash go. See you inside. The first mistake that I think people are making is they follow the two S's. You're saving and spending all of your money. It doesn't matter how much money you make. If you don't know how to manage your money, if you don't know how to spend your money, you're going to be broke. If you keep doing what everybody else is doing, you're going to end up just like everybody else, which the majority of people is broke, miserable, unhappy, and not fulfilled. Because the reality is money talks. And we can make as many excuses as we want, but money talks. You hear stories all the time on social media. People like, oh, I went from zero to six figures in six months. Okay, how? It doesn't always work like that. Like that is the exception, not the rule. But you see the loud, flashy wealth fail, but the slow, silent, kind of that little, little, little bit of progress, those are the people that become insanely successful because you're not trying to just show it all off. You're doing it for a bigger purpose. All success starts with your mindset. Okay, are you ready? Let's do it. When Jaspreet Singh was in law school, I don't think he could have imagined that he'd end up having a YouTube channel that would help millions of people with their finances. But that's exactly what Jaspreet has done. In today's podcast, we get Jaspreet's thoughts on the biggest mistakes you're making with your money, how people really become rich, and how he grew his YouTube channel and various businesses to over seven figures. I'm Erica Kohlberg. This is Erica Taught Me. And today, we're here with Jaspreet Singh. You guys know that I love investing because you know that if your money is just sitting in a bank account, you're losing out to inflation every single year. That's why you invest it so that it grows for you without you having to put in any extra work. I've been using an investing app called Webull for almost four years, and I had them do something really special for my listeners. By using my link to sign up today, you can get between six to 12 fractional shares for free. All you need to do is open an account and deposit any amount, even a dollar, to claim your free shares. So just by depositing a dollar, you'll get between 6 to 12 free fractional shares. And if you're wondering what to actually invest in, we talk all about investing in episode 28, so go ahead and listen to that episode. To claim your free shares through my special link, just go to ericataughtme.com invest or click the link in the show notes. 
And it's Erica with a K. Again, that's ericataughtme.com slash invest. So I first want to ask, what would you say are the three biggest money mistakes people are making? The first mistake that I think people are making is they follow the two S's. You're saving and spending all of your money. The second mistake is you don't understand how the system works. And the third mistake is you don't know how to put your money to work. So if we start by diving into number one, you're saving and spending all of your money. The first one, if you make $1,000, most of us think in what I call net zero terms, meaning you make money and now you think, how do I spend it? And I realized this because I used to teach or guest teach in Detroit public schools. Detroit is a rough school district. And in this school, many of the kids or Actually, pretty much every kid in my classroom worked a job. And I asked them, how many of you now have a bank account? Not a single one raised their hand. So I asked, you know, what do you do with the money that you make? And the consensus was you get a paycheck, a physical paycheck. You go to the liquor store. You pay 1% to 10% of your check in fees. And then on the way out, you buy a bunch of pop, candy, soda, a bunch of junk. And now by the time you leave the store, half of your paycheck is gone. So if you think in terms of spending... Well, now you have no money to build wealth. This happens across all income levels. If you think of what would you do if you had 10 grand? Most people think of, I would go on a nice trip to Bali or I'd go to Cancun or I'd go to this nice vacation. If you had 50 grand, I'm going to buy a nice Benz or a Beamer. If I had 500 grand, I'm going to go out and buy this nice mansion. We think in terms of spending as opposed to now what wealthy people do, which is in terms of investing. How do I build my wealth? So if you're spending all your money, you have no margin to actually build wealth. The second one isn't as easy to understand, which is now saving. Because growing up, I grew up in a traditional Indian house. My parents are immigrants from a state in India called Punjab. And the traditional Indian culture is a save-heavy culture. I joke that American people spend a dollar to make $2. Indian people make a dollar to spend 20 cents. Because, I mean, it's, they're cheap, okay? <laughs> but it's a save-heavy culture. And it has its benefits, but the reality is you're never going to become wealthy by saving your money. Because if you look at it from just a financial perspective, if you get a 1% interest rate at your bank and inflation is higher than 1%, that means your savings are losing value to inflation every single day. So you're slowly becoming poorer by saving your money And this is where now you have to understand the value of saving and when do you save because it's not that wealthy people don't save money. It's that they know how to save their money the right way. And so now if you think about that, how do you save your money the right way? Well, there's three reasons why you should be saving your money. You should save your money for an emergency. You should save your money for an investment. And you should save your money for a big purchase. You know, you need money for an emergency in case you lose your job, in case somebody gets sick, somebody gets hurt. You want to have savings for that. You want savings for an investment because now if you want to go out and buy a rental property, you want to buy a business, you want to do whatever, it costs money to do that. You want to have cash for that. And if you want to buy a house or a car or anything, you need cash. So you want to have money for buying something. But if you're just saving your money to save it, now you're losing the value of your money. And so this is where now you need to break away from first the spending culture because we live in a spending culture. We're in a consumerism culture where everybody wants the nice stuff, even if you can't afford it. That's why the buy now, pay later 
industry has been booming over the last few years. But then you have to think a little bit deeper and know that, okay, I'm not spending all my money. So now I'm just saving it. But that's not the right thing either, which then brings us to the second part which I talked about, which is now understanding how the system works. And the best way I can explain this is to just give my own personal story because this is something that I went through. Like my parents are immigrants and they came here to America with very little. My dad came to this country with less than $100, didn't know the language, didn't know the people, didn't know the culture, had to work very hard. And growing up, I didn't get to spend a lot of time with my parents because they were always working. My grandparents also lived with me and my parents. So my parents moved here and then my grandparents moved in with us. So my grandparents essentially raised me. And I would see how hard my parents worked. And they would always say, don't worry about money. Don't stress about money because it's bad, it's evil, it's taboo. But at the same time, they're always working to get a paycheck. Now, we weren't poor. Like I never had to worry about where my next meal was going to come from. But I saw how hard they had to work. And then they would say, don't worry about money, but go and become a doctor. Mm. And I'm like, why do you want me to become a doctor? So you become successful. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you're a doctor, you're a doctor. You got the DR in front of your name. So people are going to reference you as a doctor. Like, well, I don't really care about that. Well, if you're a doctor, then you're going to find somebody who's going to want to marry you. Like, okay. <laughs> if you're a doctor, you're also going to be financially free. Oh, so you mean that I should become a doctor because you make good money. And now the reality is people do work to get paid. Now you should love what you do, but the money does matter because if the money didn't matter, then you wouldn't ask for a paycheck. You know, I mean, if you don't believe me, go tell your boss not to pay you and see how long you stay at that company, <laughs> right? But the money does matter. You should do what you love. But the reality is there's a lot of people that do things solely for the money. And I was kind of going down that route. Like I like the idea of helping people. Morally, I want to help people. I love the idea of helping people. But then financially, if I'm doing medicine to help people, if I want to optimize and maximize the money I make as a doctor, how do I do that? That means you got to see more patients. And if I'm trying to maximize the patients that I see, I'm not going to be able to provide the best value to each patient. So when I was in college, I'm thinking about this. Now my, my brain is like kind of having this internal conflict where am I being a doctor to help people or am I being a doctor to make money? And that was one of the first catalysts for me to realize that, you know, I don't want to do this. And now I'm studying for the MCAT, which is the test you take to get into medical school. And I'm searching on Google for, you know, the richest people in America, just bored out of my mind, just trying to find something to like calm myself down as I'm studying. And I see people like Warren Buffett, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates. I don't think Mark Zuckerberg was there at the time, but a lot of these people who were not doctors didn't follow the traditional system. And that's when I started to question things a little bit more. And I started reading business books. And that's when I started to realize that wealthy people aren't working to climb the corporate ladder and get a good job. They're working to own the corporate ladder. And this was a whole new realization for me because this was something that I never grew up learning because most of us who are told to go and become successful, we're told to go to school, get good grades, get a good job, and then work to climb that corporate ladder. But if you look at the successfulest people in the world, I don't even know if successfulest is a word. You don't have to know all the right words. But if you look at the most successful people in the world, none of them did that. They're working to do something different. Now, this had me questioning, why are we never taught this? Because I went through a lot of schooling. I mean, I went through law school just like you did. Um, you're 
a much smarter attorney than I am. No. <laughs> but I went through a lot of schooling and I never once learned a thing about how to become wealthy. Because when you go to school, you're told to get good grades so you can get a good job. And you're told to work for a salary. But wealthy people don't work for a salary. They're working for equity, which is something completely different than your salary. Because in America, now you can hate this or love it, but this is the reality of the system, which is why you want to understand the system. We live in something called a capitalist system. And what that means is there are two ways that you can earn money. You can earn money from your labor or you can earn money from your capital. Now, the way you earn money from your labor is you go to work and you get paid. You get paid a salary, you get paid hourly. It doesn't matter. You're getting paid for the work that you put in. Your capital now is your money. You're getting paid through putting your money to work. And this kind of ties into the third thing that I talked about is knowing how to put your money to work. But this is where you have to think differently than what we're all taught because this, the way the system works is you're benefited more when you earn money from your capital than if you just earn money from your labor. And the reason why is now you can get paid not based off of how many hours you put in, but based off of the profits that a business is generating. And now you don't have to physically be the one that's working at a job. You can be the one that owns a piece of the business. And now as the business produces money, you get your piece of that. And the question is now, how do you do it? Because most of the times we assume, oh man, that's, that's a lot of money. Like, how am I going to go out and buy a company and start getting this sort of equity, getting this capital and, and investing it? Well, there's two ways that you can earn money through your capital. One way is by buying it. The second way is by building it. And the easiest example that I can give you of building it is think of just building a home. You buy the materials, you got to have the cash for that. But now you're literally going to build a home. If you build a home and you built it yourself, well, you're going to get it a lot cheaper and you have natural equity in your home. It's the same thing with the business. If you can build a business, well, now you're building the equity, the value of your business. And now this is something that you own. Compare that to now buying it where now you can buy ownership in companies stocks. You can buy ownership in real estate investments. You can buy ownership in cryptocurrency. You can buy ownership in startups. There are so many things that you can buy ownership in, but it requires you to now think a little bit different because the first thing is you need some margin. You can't save all your money and not want to invest it. You can't spend all of your money because now you have no money to invest. Now you need this margin and then you need to know how to break away from the traditional system because now you have to put this money to work, meaning you need to invest it to go out and buy this equity. Now, the great thing is you don't need a ton of money to do this. Like there are so many apps out there that will let you start investing your money with under $1,000. There's a lot of apps out there that will let you start investing with under $100. There are even apps out there that will let you start investing with $1. So if you have $1, you can go out and start investing in this type of equity and if you slowly keep doing this, you will be able to compound your way to wealth. I talked on my YouTube channel, Minority Mindset, about a guy named Earl Crawley. And he worked minimum wage. He was a parking lot attendant, never really earned much money. But he started by putting aside $25. And I think it was $25 a month. And that $25 a month slowly compounded to $25,000. And he did that by investing his money into low-cost ETFs. And then he said, you know, I'm going to take this to the next level. I'm not going to be able to invest a whole lot more money, but I want to take charge of my own investments. So then he started investing in individual companies. He started learning. He started 
doing it himself. And then he was able to slowly compound his $25 a month investments. Maybe he did a little bit more later on, but he worked as a parking lot attendant. And he built this up to a half a million dollar investment portfolio with small incremental investments. So the key is now not starting with $100,000 or $1,000. The key is being consistent and automatically and passively investing your money, no matter how much money you start with, but putting your money to work. But this requires you to now not just save and spend all of your money. It requires you to now understand how the system works. Then it requires you to know how to invest your money. And this is where, you know, some people are going to say, you have to invest your money in real estate. Others are going to say, you have to go into crypto. It doesn't matter. This is where financial education comes in handy because now you can start to do this research for yourself and decide, maybe I want to invest some in stocks, some in crypto, some in real estate, some in physical gold. Like I invest my money in five places. My first investment is into my own business, market briefs. And then I'll, along with that, some startups that I invest in. My second biggest investment are my real estate investments. I invest in real estate for cash flow. My third biggest investment are my stock investments. My fourth biggest investment is my cryptocurrency investments. And my fifth investment, my fifth, it's my fifth biggest or my smallest, whatever way you want to look at it, is my physical gold. And so it's a way for me to now get to diversification across different asset classes, but that's how I invest my money. And I say this not so you copy me, but so you can understand that there are many different ways for you to invest, but this is where you need that financial education to now know what to do and how to do it. Wow. <laughs> that was so good. Thank you. Erica. I was blown away by like, yeah. I liked what you said about how a lot of this seems unattainable. I mean, I know when I was growing up, I thought investing was something only the rich people did. Yeah. But like you said, you can start with a dollar. You can start with $10. What are some other things that you think people think, oh, it's only something the rich do, but they can actually be doing every day in their lives? So it's funny. So I grew up with my grandparents. And about 15 years ago, they moved back to Punjab, India. And about a month ago, they moved back to America actually to New York, which is one of the reasons why I'm here. And I was spending time with my grandfather last night. And I talked to him, you know, we talk about a bunch of things. And, you know, he doesn't really understand fully what I do. But he knows that I talk about money and education, which he's very impressed by because he grew up through a very different level of poverty that is hard to explain. And the reason why is because he was a refugee. Both of my grandparents were born on the west side of Punjab. So in 1947, my home state of Punjab was severed by the Indian government. And if you were a Sikh, which is the religion that I am, and you lived on the west side, you had to migrate east, otherwise you were going to be killed. And he was on the west side. And so he literally lost everything he had. Lost his home, his land, he lost his friends, he left his family, he left his everything that he had, all he had were the clothes on his back and a sword in his hand. And that was it. And coming across, he, like many others, got attacked by a mob. And so he had to literally fight for his life. And he saw his uncle get killed right in front of him during that attack, but then made it to the east side. And along the way, he lost his shoes. And he describes it in a really funny way. But he's like, you know, I, I, it was just so hard and tiring. I, I just like somehow lost my shoes along the way and then made it to the east side of India, had no shoes, no place to sleep, no home, no food to eat, 
nothing. And what he says is during that time, the level of poorness that I faced, there was no concept of trying to feed somebody else. My only focus was being able to take care of myself. And so one of the biggest diseases that he says is that level of poverty, poorness, because when you're that level of poorness, poverty, you can't help others. The only thing you want to do is take care of yourself. And so yesterday I was asking him, I was like, you know, when you were growing up, was there ever a concept of investing? He said, yeah. And I said, you know, was it available for regular people? He said, no. Investing was for people who are rich. Regular people didn't even know what the concept of investing was. And um, I asked him, did you ever invest your money? And he said, yeah, you know, as I started to get settled, they told me that I could buy these things called shares and I bought some of them and I don't know what happened to them. Like he bought the shares and like he has no idea if they made money, lost money. Like it was money he put into quote unquote shares, never saw that money again. And so you talk about, is there anything now that people think that wealthy people can do or only wealthy people can do, but regular people cannot Yes, because that time is different. Where our parents' time, our grandparents' time, where investing your money was reserved for only a certain class of people, we don't live in that generation. Like if you have the ability and means to watch this and understand what we're saying, you're very blessed and you have all the tools that you need because now either you have access to a phone or a computer which means you can download some apps on your phone. And so now if you want to invest in the stock market, there's so many apps out there. Uh, you can watch some of the videos on my channel. I know you've talked about some before too. There, I mean, there's so many. If you want to invest in real estate, but you don't have the means or want to go out and invest in rental properties because you don't want to deal with tenants because that can be a big pain in and of itself. Well, there's crowdfunding apps that make investing in real estate so much more accessible. If you want to invest in startups, you watch Shark Tank and you're like, oh, I want to invest in startups too. Well, there's crowdfunding sites that will allow you to invest in startups, literal startups that are looking for cash. And now you can invest in these startups where I think the minimum is like $100, but you know, very small amounts of money. Uh, it's highly risky. Many of these companies will go bankrupt, but you have the potential to now see huge returns because if one of the companies you invest in goes public or gets acquired, you can see a massive return on your money. But again, high risk. You can invest in gold passively. Like I invest in physical gold. I do it completely passively where every month, some of the money leaves my checking account and is automatically buying me physical gold. Same with cryptocurrencies. So there's really no excuse anymore where accessibility is not a reason for why we cannot invest because the dollar amount is so low where if you have $1, you can start investing your money. And now if you have access to technology to listen to what we're saying, you can go out and start investing your money. The last factor now that's missing is the education side. Because when you're in a growing market, everybody is a financial genius because now you can put your money into anything you want and you're going to make money and everyone's going to look at you like, oh, you're a financial genius. Just go on to Reddit and start posting about your stock gains and people are going to be very excited. But now, when you start to go through slowing economic cycles and downward stock market cycles, this is where now you start to see who is a real investor and who is a not-so-real investor because real wealth, I'm talking about real wealth, is built in silence. While that short-term wealth, the flashiness, that richness is very loud. And people like to be loud and flashy. But that's not how the real wealth is built. Now, the nice thing, though, 
And this is one of the biggest blessings ever is that this financial education is now so much more accessible than ever thanks to YouTube for decentralizing education because I was never exposed to this type of education. Like my parents are not investors. When I wanted to invest in real estate, I had read a few books about investing in real estate. And I'm a horrible reader. Like English is my second language. I'm not the best uh, reader. I'm very slow at it. But I started reading books because I was so interested by it. And I started listening to these uh, audio CDs. That was how I learned. And then I went out and I just did it. And I made a ton of mistakes. But now, if you want to learn how to invest in real estate, you just go onto YouTube, search real estate investing, and you can see real real estate investors walking through their deals. Like on my channel, I walked through my worst real estate deal ever, talked about every single mistake that I made. It was the most painful deal that I've ever done. And it's the only deal to date that I've ever lost money on. And you can watch it for free. And so the accessibility factor of learning is so much easier because before, if you wanted to learn how to invest in real estate, you'd have to, at the very least, go out and buy a $25 book. So it means you got to go to the bookstore, buy a book, and then you got to read it, which it's tough. I mean, it takes time and it takes a lot of dedication as opposed to going to YouTube and watching a 25-minute video, which can teach you a big chunk of what you're going to learn in the book. Now, of course, there's value for books. There's value for classes. There's value for videos. There's different levels of type of education that you can get. But that level of education is so much more accessible now where, you know, you say, what do people think is only reserved to wealthy people? Well, there's a lot of things that people think are reserved to wealthy people. But now because of the education, Everything is so much more accessible where if you have the drive, you have the mindset, all the tools are on your fingertips. And now it just requires you to go out and take the action and believe it's possible for you. The reason why I call myself the minority mindset is because I say all success starts with your mindset. If you don't believe you can do it, I 100% guarantee that you're not going to be able to do it. I mean, there's just no other way. But if you believe you can do it, if you have the right mindset and then you're willing to put in the work to learn and you're willing to make mistakes, you're willing to take a risk, nothing can stop you. It might take some time. Like it took me a solid decade to figure out how to do it, to build a business, to invest my money the right way, to, to really build wealth. It took me a solid decade, which sounds like a lot because we all want to become rich tomorrow. But if you're willing to put in the work, nothing can stop you. And this is where, you know, understanding that the real long-term game is a long-term game. The real wealth is built in silence and you just keep learning, putting in work. And then if you look back six months, you'll be surprised by how far you come. And then you look back two years and you can't even recognize how far you come. And then you look back five years and it's a completely different life. But it requires that first step. And you're not comparing yourself to somebody at the finish line. Just look at where you are and see where you want to be. And just keep making small steps forward because the accessibility factor is there. We, we have never been able to access this level of research, education, and tools to do the things that can make regular people wealthy, but now it requires regular people to go out and actually do it. If you're listening, let me guess. You have a passcode on your phone. And let me take another wild guess and say that you have a password on your computer. But why are so many of us okay just being completely unprotected online? We have no idea who has all our personal information online and whether it's the good guys or the bad guys who might be selling your information or worse. We're talking spammers, telemarketers, robocallers, 
People who want to know more about you and even where you live. My sister had her data leaked online and because of that, her identity was stolen and it was a nightmare to deal with. We had to lock down all her credit cards just for starters. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Aura, a sponsor of this episode. Aura can identify data brokers exposing your info and submit opt-out requests on your behalf. When I discovered it, I knew I had to try it out just to see if my information had been leaked online, which they let me see instantly after I signed up. And get this, for my audience, they're offering a free 14-day trial so you can see if your personal information has been leaked online. To find out now, go to ericataughtme.com slash Aura to claim your free 14-day trial. Erica with a K and Aura is spelled A-U-R-A. Again, that's ericataughtme.com slash Aura. And I'll also leave the link in the show notes. Yeah. You spoke about the minority mindset, which by the way, since I first discovered you years ago, I've always loved that and the meaning behind it. What is the majority mindset? So the minority mindset, we'll start with there and I'll explain the majority because the minority mindset has nothing to do with the way you look, your ethnicity or skin color. It's the mindset of thinking differently than the majority of people. So what is the majority mindset? Well, the majority mindset is what most people are doing. And the way I like to say it, is if you're doing what everybody else is doing, 80 to 90% of the time, you're doing something wrong. You could be more efficient, doing something better, doing something more fulfilling, doing something that makes you more happy if you do something a little bit different. Because most of the times, we build a box around ourselves. And I do these exercises with my team where it's like riddles, where it requires you to really think outside of the box. And the best example that I can give is, it's a, I, if you go to Google and search nine dots riddle, you'll probably be able to see it where it's nine dots, three uh, rows of three dots, and you need to connect all three of these dots. And what happens is, without giving it away, we create these invisible boxes around ourselves and our minds where we think this is how life is supposed to be. You're supposed to go to school and get a good job. You're supposed to then put aside 10% of your income for your savings. You're supposed to be miserable because everybody complains about their job. You're not supposed to travel that much because who travels for six months out of the year? You're not supposed to be able to do this and this and have this nice car because that's only for certain types of people. We give ourselves these invisible scripts, these invisible scenarios where we tell ourselves, this is how life is supposed to be because that's how it's always been done and this is what everybody else does. But if you keep doing what everybody else is doing, you're going to end up just like everybody else, which the majority of people is broke, miserable, unhappy, and not fulfilled. So if that's not what you want to do, you can't keep doing what everybody else does. And it sounds mean, like just breathe you. Why would you say that? The majority of people are broke and miserable. Look, statistics. There was a new study that came out, I think it was yesterday, that 61% of Americans are now living paycheck to paycheck. And now there's always varying statistics where it's sometimes it's 61%, sometimes it's 69%, sometimes it's 72%. But we know the majority of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. We also know that the majority of Americans have less than $1,000 saved up for an emergency. So more than 50% of Americans have less than $1,000 saved up. 50% of Americans have zero investments at all. That means no IRA, no 401k, no stock market investment, no real estate investments, no gold investments, no crypto investments, nothing. Half of investments, half of Americans have no investments. We also know that half of America is not happy at the jobs. Actually, 
more than half America. I think it's about three-fourths of Americans are not happy at their job. This might be a pre-pandemic number, but I would bet that even today, the vast majority of Americans are not happy at the job. We also know that the vast majority of Americans are not happy with their lives. So now if you look at the statistics, the majority of people are not happy in many different aspects of their lives, yet you want to keep doing what everybody else does just because that's the system? This is where it's like, come on, think about that for a second. If you don't want to be like everybody else, you can't keep doing what everybody else does. And most people are sheep. We want to follow the person in front of us because that's what we're told to do. And I don't want to get like, you know, too anti-school system in here because the school system was beneficial for me, not because I learned so much in the classroom, but because I started my first business when I was in school. I had that great community. I had so much fun when I was in school. But the issue that I have with the traditional school system is that many of us are told what to think as opposed to being told how to think. And the reason why this is so important nowadays is because education has become so much more accessible thanks to YouTube and podcasts. And so if education is more accessible, now we can learn whatever we want. Many times we don't know how to think and we don't know how to learn. Because, you know, social media, we've heard of these rabbit holes. There's, there's documentaries on this where if you watch anything on social media, whether it's finance, whether it's uh, your diet, you start to go down a rabbit hole where social media is going to show you more and more and more of the same thing. And this is good if you're learning something good and healthy, but it can also be bad if you're learning something that's not good. Because now you start to think that anybody who thinks differently than you is wrong, stupid, and dumb. And you start to get immersed into this whole lifestyle of thinking that this is the only way to think. But that's not how you learn. Because true intellect is being able to understand both sides and then find where along the spectrum you lie. And so this requires you to now learn. So what does that mean? You learn things that make you feel uncomfortable. Again, let me give you an example to make it very simple to understand. If you look at my Audible books, because I love Audible, you're going to see things that are very contradictory. For example, I have books such as The Communist Manifesto and The Capitalist Manifesto. I have Donald Trump's book. I also have Barack Obama's book. Why? I like learning from different people. And then you start being, stop being so polarized and you understand what people's goals are and you start to see more, you start to dig a little bit deeper and now you can really become intellectual because you start learning better. So what does that mean? You have to know how to learn. You have to know how to think. And this requires you to think differently than the majority of people because most of the time you go into social media, people will say things like, if you disagree with me, let me know and I'll unfollow you right now. <laughs> what good are we doing? Let's start having discourse, let's converse, let's have social dialogue that is not aggressive. That way we can build together as a society, not so divisive, because we have to be able to understand and learn from people who have differing thoughts than we do. And I'm saying this with such passion because I was not supposed to be an entrepreneur. I had to fight a lot because, you know, when you come from this traditional household, my parents really, really, really wanted me to be a doctor. So much so that when I was in eighth grade, I was 12 years old. My parents got me a tutor not for the English class that I was struggling with, not for the classes that I was taking in eighth grade, but to get into medical school by getting me a tutor for the MCAT, which is the test you take towards the end of your college career. I'm 12 years old <laughs> in eighth grade learning how to get into medical school. So when I told my parents that I didn't want to be a doctor, they flipped. And it was a huge 
argument. I mean, it was constant. The only thing that I heard for years, it took my mom a year and a half to actually believe that I wasn't going to be a doctor. And I mean, it gave me thick skin and I know where they're coming from because they was coming from a place of love because they wanted me to become successful. Entrepreneurship is risky and it's scary and there's no guarantee, right? If you go and become a doctor, I mean, you go treat patients, you know, you're going to make a decent paycheck. You'll be okay as long as you don't spend all your money. But there's other financial issues with being a doctor. But this is where you you have to be able to think a little bit differently and be willing to stand by your beliefs and willing to understand what it is that you want. Because if you want something different, if you want to be not average, you can't keep doing what regular people do. You can't keep doing what everybody else does. And this requires you to first think differently and then second act differently. When you look back at your childhood and your formative years and your young adult life, what do you look and say, wow, these were defining moments that really formed my mindset on money and my values around money? So when it comes to money particularly, I think there's two different aspects. One is the earning side and and one is more kind of like now the investing side because growing up, I always wanted to help my parents. I love my parents to death. They are huge supporters of me now. Uh, But I always wanted to help them. And so when I was a kid, I wanted to uh, earn money. So the first thing I did, I was probably 10 years old. I started mowing my neighbor's lawns. And my parents stopped me. They said, don't do that. Focus on studying so you can become a doctor one day. (laughs) So I was like, okay. Like, you know, kind of starts building this question of, you know, are we working for money? Why are we working for money? When do we work for money? And then I became a paper boy. I earned seven cents a house. So I would deliver uh, 100 papers every Wednesday and earn $7. So the company I worked for, they went out of business before giving me my last paycheck. They still owe me $14. <laughs> Hopefully they're charging interest. I'll or, help you collect. Yeah, we got to get that <laughs> money back. But um, you know, I did that and I was discouraged from doing that, but I did it anyways because I knew this is what I wanted to do. And then as I started to get a little bit older, the things started to get a little bit more serious on the earning side where I started to play this drum, Indian drum called a toll at weddings, Indian weddings. And my parents were really not for that. They, they wanted me to focus on my studies and stop doing these like other fun, whatever hobbies that I was doing. But that really was a major turning point for me because when I started playing this drum, I got to meet a lot of local Indian DJs. And I became very good friends with them, still some of my best friends to today. And all of us were like this kind of like little group of hustlers trying to figure it out. Now, we weren't doing bad things. We were just trying to figure out how do we become successful because we all came from the same place. All of our parents told us to go and become a doctor or something like that. And we were like kind of being rebels by working at weddings and doing this. So we were all kind of like, you know, really supportive of one another in that way. And we had the idea to start hosting teen parties for kids in my high school. So now I was 16 years old. We made a deal with one of a local Indian restaurant that was looking for exposure. And we said that we would start hosting teen parties here. I'd promote it to my friends in my high school. My DJs didn't charge me to perform there. And now we started a little side hustle where now we're hosting teen parties and making a little bit of money. And I thought it was a hobby because I was like, you know, what am I going to do with this? I know I got to become a doctor. This is just for fun. So it ends because now I got to go to college. I go to college and I don't know what to expect because my parents didn't go to university here. I think everybody goes to college to study hard, 
and become this, you know, professional in college. And I get there and I don't know what to bring. I brought like five things with me. I got to remember what these five things are, but I know it was a microwave. It was a sleeping bag. It was like my backpack and two other small things. I didn't have a towel. I just kind of dried off like this. And I didn't even have a blanket. I literally slept in a sleeping bag for the first however long when I was in college because I didn't know what to bring. And I get there and everybody around me is partying, drinking, blowing money that they don't have. And I was mind blown. I was like, where do you all get this money? And why are you spending it all on, on alcohol? Like, it just didn't make sense to me. And I don't drink. I never drink. I don't smoke. I never smoked. It just wasn't my scene. But I still needed something to do on Friday nights. So instead of now going to the parties, I was like, well, why don't I bring this teen party idea back into college? And so that's what I did. I started knocking on the doors of a bunch of clubs, venues, restaurants, bars on campus. And some of these restaurant owners, bar owners, club owners would say, yeah, you need 10 grand to host a party here. I said, well, I don't got 10 grand. And you keep going, right? You learn to kind of talk to people. And eventually I found this club that said, yeah, you can do a party here. We're not going to charge you a penny. Just give us half of the cover charge, half of the revenue that you bring in. I said, okay, that works. Now we're in business. And that's how I started now, my college event planning company. And that gave me some cash now in my bank account because I started, I, we grew pretty big. I was uh, contracted by one of the biggest clubs on campus. I eventually, it took some time to get there. But eventually, I was contracted by one of the biggest clubs on campus. This is in Ann Arbor. I went to the University of Michigan to host their college night every week. And on top of that, I would also host my own monthly events. And I was also hosting concerts. I was hosting some shows and official after parties. Like we, we grew pretty big in the four years that I was in college. And I started making some money, although I did start hating it by the end of college. But I'll get to that in a second. But I started making some money. And that money now was sitting in my bank account. I started reading business books and I'm starting for the MCAT. And that's when also real estate prices happened to be at rock bottom after the 2008 crash. And I started investing in real estate when I was in college. I was 19 years old. I took me my MCAT on August 22nd. And on August 23rd, I closed on my first rental property. Now, it was a very different time where it cost me $8,000. Uh, that was the full price of the condo because I was, you know, we're in Michigan where the biggest economic drivers in our state were Ford, GM, and Chrysler. GM had just declared bankruptcy. Chrysler had just declared bankruptcy and Ford was on the verge of bankruptcy. So the real estate market was exceptionally hit hard. I didn't really understand what was happening. I can look back and tell you what happened. But the condo that I purchased was sold for 150 grand a few years prior to me purchasing it. And then I came in and bought it for eight grand out of foreclosure from the bank. And now this is my first experience with any sort of like real investing, real passive income. I was very fortunate, but I mean, it took a lot of effort for me to get there because I knew a lot of people on campus who had way more money than I did, but weren't doing what I was doing you know, whether it's because, you know, I was interested in this. I, I had that mindset. I was looking at things differently than the way they were. But it was just being able to capitalize on that opportunity. And I wouldn't have been able to do it if, you know, going back a few years, I didn't start playing this drum at weddings. Now, it's like a series of unexpected events that maybe if I didn't do one of them, I would have gone somewhere else. And maybe I would have done something completely different. 
Like my life is, you know, just like everybody else's life. It's just a series of events that gets you to where you are. But at the end of the day, if you keep working hard, you keep learning, you keep putting in the effort, it will take you closer to where you want to go. It just might be a different path. Like we're all trying to go up the same mountain and there might be a thousand different paths up, but you have to just keep climbing up one step at a time. And so it kind of all just started there. And then, you know, I talked about how I started hating it. Well, as somebody who doesn't drink, who doesn't smoke, it can be very hard to work in that entertainment business, which is very sketchy and can be very dirty for so long and just constantly being around that environment. So I got away because I realized this was not me and I needed to do something that I could really support and stand behind. So I got as far away from that industry as I could. And so then you went to law school. Yeah. So I told my parents I didn't want to be a doctor and they didn't believe me. And then after a lot of fighting, a lot of arguing, eventually we came to a compromise. My parents said that if you want to maintain any pride in the family, you have to at least become an attorney. (laughs) I was like, okay. And I agreed to that because, well, one, it didn't seem like that big of a deal to me because I've always been in school. So I didn't mind school. I liked learning. But the best part about law school was that I knew you could do law school part-time, which meant I could work on my business and my investments and everything that I was doing full-time. So I was like, all right, let's do this. So uh, I went to law school. I spent the first year, year and a half full-time while still working on my business full-time. So it was very tough. But then the second half, I did part-time and I was working on my business uh, and everything else that I was doing. So it was, it was a unique experience because I knew I wasn't there to become an attorney. But I also didn't know exactly what I was going to do. Because, you know, from college through law school, I'd worked on you know, my event planning company, started investing in real estate. And then I did so many other things because the best way that I learned was by doing. That's just how I learned. So I did, went from business idea to business idea to business idea. And I made a ton of mistakes because the way that I learned was from messing up. And it was painful, sometimes expensive, but it was how I learned. Like I went from investing in real estate, then I became a real estate salesperson. When I became a real estate salesperson, the boss, the broker in my office taught this concept called real estate wholesaling. And because I was the youngest agent in her office, she offered me a free three-day seminar ticket that I could go to to learn real estate wholesaling that she taught. I started doing real estate wholesaling. And then I started selling on Amazon. And then I started creating my own product because I wanted to build something of my own. And I started my own uh, e-commerce sock company, which was doing really well. And along the way, I got scammed multiple times in multiple different places. But they each led me then somewhere else. And so in law school, this is where now I didn't put much focus into my actual law classes. I liked learning. I especially liked the tax classes, the business classes, because it was just something that I could relate to. But I knew I wasn't there to become an attorney. Now, it was stressful because, you know, I said, like, I didn't know what I was going to do. So I would have a lot of nights where I couldn't sleep. I had a lot of anxiety because I didn't know what I was going to do. And I knew that if I couldn't figure it out, that I would graduate law school and look like a fool and have to start from scratch. And so there was a lot of nights where I just stayed up at night. And for me, it became a big motivator because now I was working all the nights that I couldn't sleep. So I'd work early morning, I'd work late at night. I mean, all I did was work and I spent as little money as possible. Like I was making good money. I was making six figures, but I was spending nothing. Like my rent 
was about $400 a month. It was actually, it was under $400 a month. And that included all of my utilities, my gas, my electric, my water, my internet, my cable. And the reason why is because I didn't even have a room. Like I slept on the living room floor. I would drag a mattress down into the living room in the evenings, put down the sheets, go to sleep, wake up, fold the sheets, put them on the sofa, and then pick up the mattress, put it in the living room, and go out and study and work all day, and then come back and just go to sleep. So, I mean, I created this environment where there was nothing else. Like, all I did was work and study. And every dollar that I had saved, I was putting back into me. Either I was investing it into something like real estate, or I was taking this money, investing it back into my business and my own education. So I was really putting every penny and every minute that I had back into myself because I knew I needed to do something and I was going to do whatever it took. Then I graduated law school and I was never worked a day as an attorney. (laughs) And uh, so it was kind of like a, a, you know, for me, it was one of those things where I became an attorney. I gave my parents a degree, the degree that they wanted, but I never worked a day as an attorney. And, you know, I kind of rebelled a little bit where even on my graduation day, I, uh, I wore, everybody wears a suit and tie. I wore a traditional Indian attire or something called a korta pajama, which was this long uh, Indian attire because I said, look, I'm, you told me to get a degree. I got the degree. So everything else from here on out, I'm going to do it on my terms. So I went and um, wore a traditional Indian attire when I got my diploma. I, and when I graduated, you know, people... Typically, right, people get like gifts, graduation gifts. I never had a graduation gift in my life. But what I said was, mom, when I graduate law school, I'm going to give you a gift for me graduating because I'm never going to work as an attorney. So I, I took my mom to uh, the Chanel store and I bought her a, a Chanel purse, which was a very expensive purse and the one and only Chanel purse that my mom owns. But I bought it as a gift to her for me graduating law school because I said, here, look, you got your degree. And this is what you get for me not working as an attorney. So kind of as a joke, you know, I kind of got that hard head still, but it was just um, one of those things I did because that's what I thought I needed to do to become successful. I recently went on an anniversary getaway with the husband and it was beautiful. Here's everything I got for free. We got free business class tickets for an international flight, which meant, yep, you guessed it. I got free access to the lounge where we could kick things off with a glass of champagne. Then we got a free stay at a five-star hotel where we could relax and go to the beach. Okay, so now I'm sure you're wondering how I got it for free, and you know I don't gatekeep, so here's the insider knowledge you need to know. I did it by signing up for a free Built credit card. Built is a credit card that lets you earn points just for paying your rent, and there's no extra fee. And when I say free, I mean free. There's no annual fee for the credit card, and they don't charge a transaction fee for paying your rent with the card. You'll also earn two times the points on travel and three times the points on dining. Once you get your points, you can transfer them to travel partners like airlines and hotels to then get the free business class flights or five-star hotels like I did. To sign up for this card, go to ericataughtme.com built. Erica is with a K and built is B-I-L-T. Or to make it easier, go to the link in the show notes. Again, that's ericataughtme.com slash built. Do you feel like it was worth it? I mean, you spent all of these years going to law school. I'm sure tons of student loans or you, you fronted the money up. So I was very fortunate that I didn't have to take out any student loans because for one, I had a huge scholarship. And the second part, I just paid um, with cash, whatever I had to pay for. So it was, I mean, it wasn't that much out of pocket and my rent was super cheap. So my cost was super low. Uh, but the time... 
if I didn't go to law school, yeah, I would have worked on my business even more. Maybe it would be a little bit further. But I met some really cool people. And uh, now I get to say that I went to law school but never worked as an attorney. So I got to have that benefit. <laughs> but it's odd because I went to law school and I don't think I knew a single person who actively in law school said, hey, I'm in law school, but I don't ever plan to practice as an attorney. It was me and one other person in my whole school that I knew. Uh, <laughs> and we met each other on the first day of class. And we sat next to each other. It was just funny how it worked out. We came in and he said, hey, uh, what do you want to do after you graduate? What kind of law do you want to do? I said, I don't want to be an attorney. He says, no way, me neither. <laughs> Became friends ever <laughs> since that day, but no one else I had met at law school wanted the same thing. But you know, the nice thing about law to any attorney that's listening is you have a lot of flexibility where the law degree can be used for so many different avenues like business, uh, for example, where you don't have to work as you know your, your traditional attorney. You can do a lot of different things. And that's what I liked about it. And you know, it teaches you how to think. That's what, at least at my law school, they talked about a lot is you have to know yeah. how to think. And I like that. I love the idea of thinking. I love the idea of being able to challenge your thoughts and think logically. And that was something I really enjoyed, which is why I think I was fortunate to do well in law school, even though I didn't necessarily give my full attention. I think I understood how to think and understood the logic. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it more than the actual like sitting in class and being called on for things that I had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> so I apologize to all my law school professors <laughs> for looking very dumb in front of the whole class. <laughs> it's so interesting, your story, because you were making so much from your business while you were a student, which is not the common path. So I'm curious, where did your first million dollars come from? How old were you and when, how did you make it? I was in my 20s. And I mean, it's not like uh, it just happens, but it's, you know, for me, I was focused on my business. So I, like, I have Minority Mindset, which is my personal brand. Uh, then I have Market Briefs, which is the main business that I run. And Market Briefs is a daily financial newsletter where we break down exactly what's happening in the top finance and business news into a fun, witty, easy to read email that even if you are not a financial person like I never grew up learning about money, that you are going to enjoy reading this because I want to make financial education more accessible. So that's what we do with market briefs. And so it's like, you know, how did I hit this first million? Well, it, for me, it's, it, there's many different ways to measure a million, right? You can measure it in terms of equity or dollars or whatever. Uh, honestly, I never really counted it. I never used one of those like net worth measuring apps because to me that was all... I don't want to say stupid, but it, was, it, it didn't serve that much importance to me because net worth is a very fleeting indicator where let's just say your net worth is a million dollars in the stock market. Well, tomorrow the stock market can crash and that could be worth half a million. So to me, that doesn't really mean much. So what I was doing is really, I was just constantly, I had a system where I made money and I invested everything. Like I lived very small. I had very little expenses and I invested everything. I was buying real estate. I was buying stocks. I mean, it was just buying the investments that I talked about and investing the money back in my company. And, you know, you talk about, people assume that when you make a million dollars in a year, we'll talk about that, a million dollars in a year, not a million dollars net worth. When you make a million dollars in a year, you're going to be living large and this and that. Well, the first time I quote unquote made a million dollars, I probably took home 20 grand because I made a million dollars, but then I reinvested everything. And so what does that mean? I reinvested back into the company. I hired more employees. I improved our infrastructure. I invested in real estate. I mean, I was investing everything because, yeah, I made a million, but I have nothing to show for it, right? Like, I don't have a flashy car. I was, my employees 
had better cars, still do have better cars than I do. I, you know, wasn't living large. I was just working because for me, you know, after a certain income amount, the money doesn't drive you and it doesn't become a big purpose. And that for me is a big thing where I'm not really driven by money where like, hey, someone can say, hey, here's a hundred grand, do this. I don't really care. Like, I don't need it, right? So I, I don't need that. For me, it's the purpose. And so minority mindset, I do because I provide that financial education that I wish I had when I was getting started. Market briefs, you know, I could take out big profit checks, but I don't because I'm trying to grow. We're, we're trying to reinvest and, and serve this purpose where, yeah, of course, look, there's a financial motive. I don't want to get this like sidetracked. We are a for-profit company. We provide a free newsletter and it's free because we sell advertisements to our partners, but it's for-profit. However, I'm, I see the bigger purpose, which is why we're reinvesting so aggressively and we're trying to do other things with it. So, you know, for me, it, it, it's a little bit bigger than that. And, you know, that's what really drives somebody where now if you have the purpose, now you, you, you can think a lot bigger. And what you'll see is a lot of the people that become really successful is they're driven way more by purpose than they are the dollars. Because after a certain point, dollars can't really drive you. You know, maybe they can for some people, but for me, you know, it was never one of those things where like, oh, I need this nice car. Look, today, to this day, my car is worth $500. There's no bumper on this car. And uh, I was in California for a little while. We were talking. And when I was in San Diego, I was, I was living out there. I got a call from my HOA because my car was sitting in my driveway and there's no bumper on it and it's kind of beat up. And they said that, hey, we've had a number of complaints at, about your house. I was like, whoa, <laughs> what happened? I thought that something like the house was on fire. I was like, what's going on? She's like, well, there's this black car, junk car sitting in your driveway that people keep complaining about. I'm like, excuse me? Yeah, yeah, there's this junk car. You shouldn't keep uh, scrap cars at your house. Please put it in storage. I'm like, well, not a junk car. That's my car. That's the car <laughs> that I drive to and from work every single day. And, you know, now I, I want to caveat this where it's not that I don't like nice things. Like, I will buy a nice car. I don't have any issue with that. It's just, for me, that's not the most important thing. Uh, I know I will buy a nice car. But, you know, if I had 100, if I take 150 grand and go buy a nice car, which I can do, I have a nice car. But if I take the 150 grand and reinvest it back into the company right now, well, now we have more employees. We have better infrastructure. I can do so much more. And so, you know, the way I look at it is, well, I'd rather do this right now. And now, you know, you might be listening saying, well, when is enough? I don't know. I don't feel like I'm missing anything. I don't need a nice car. Like, look, there are things that are important to me. We were talking about flying business, okay? I like not sitting in economy class when I'm flying overseas. If I'm going to India to go visit family, I don't want to sit in economy and I will spend money. We talked about, you're going to pay that much money cash? Yes, I will spend <laughs> that much money cash to go visit my family in India because I find the comfort in paying for a business class ticket. I like traveling. Hey, you know, I like having nice Airbnbs. That's important to me. I will spend money on that. So you know, it's finding what's important to you and being willing to spend on that, assuming you can afford it, but being willing to spend on the things that are important to you and not just blowing money for the purpose of showing it off because that's what's normal. You know, people would assume, oh, if you make a million dollars, you got to have a, you know, this car. You know, do what's important to you when it's right for you. There's nothing wrong with having nice stuff. Make sure you can afford it. But understand, you know, what, what are you working for? And just, just know the cost of anything. Like, I, there's nothing wrong with having nice stuff. You want a nice car? You want to have nice stuff? You want to wear the designer stuff? Great. Just make sure you can afford it. 
And if that's what you want, that's what you want. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. There's a study I read where they talked about how money over a certain threshold can make you happy. And they listed three ways. One was through buying experiences. The other was through pro-social giving. So giving your money away to charity or to your parents or something that makes you feel good about yourself. And then the third, and this is interesting because it ties into the business class flights, is just buying time back. And even the business class flights, what people don't realize is like, it actually does buy you time back because instead of being cramped up in yeah. your economy seat, you can possibly sleep during that night and then go yeah. to India the next day and have a and very productive day, right? 100%. I mean, you're, you're ready to go. You can sleep. You can work on the plane and, and get stuff done. I like that. And, you know, when you talk about the giving aspect. That's also big for me where, you know, the more you have, the more you can do. And giving is very important to me giving back to my family, but also the community. And, and again, it's what's important to you. But I do want to say that, you know, this is where understanding money is so important because while money might not be able to buy happiness after a certain point, the lack of money can really take away your happiness. Because if you don't have money and you're stressing about your bills, you can't buy your spouse the vacation that they want. You can't give your kids the education that they need. You can't buy the health care that you want to give your parents. You can't buy whatever. That's stressful. Yeah. And this is where understanding money is so important because you want to have money that way you can have and purchase the things you want because the reality is money talks. And we can make it and as many excuses as we want, but money talks. And in this economic system, if you don't have money, you are going to be at the mercy of people who have money, which is why you need to get money. But now, understand, money is just pieces of paper. It's just a tool. It's like gasoline. If you put gasoline on fire, it's just going to make the fire bigger. So if you give a good person money, now you have a tool to do more good. If you give a bad person money, you have a tool to do more bad, which is why we need more good people with money, which is why now financial education is so important. That way now you can go out Get money, do more good with it. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need more of. We were talking earlier about the statistics around money and how most people don't have $1,000 saved. Most people have credit card debt. Most people are living paycheck to paycheck. If someone were to come to you living paycheck to paycheck in credit card debt and doesn't have $1,000 saved, what would be the roadmap you create for them to say, hey, we need to start here, then this? The very first thing you got to do if you have credit card debt is you got to pay down the credit card debt as fast as possible because your credit card company is charging you 15 to 25% a year in interest. And so the very first thing you got to do is you have to pay this down before you think about investing your money in the stock market, before you think about investing in real estate, you have to pay this down as fast as humanly possible. Once you do that, and along with that, to help you do that, the most accessible thing that you can do is cut your expenses. Now, this is not fun and the most painful thing to do. However, it is the most necessary thing to do as you're on your journey to building wealth because now it doesn't matter how much money you make. If you don't know how to manage your money, if you don't know how to spend your money, you are going to be broke. You know, We talked about how 61% of Americans are paycheck to paycheck. Well, the second part of the study said that I think it was like, 50% of Americans or 51% of Americans making over $200,000 a year are also living paycheck to paycheck. The numbers might be a little bit off, but it's just about the majority of people making a couple hundred grand a year or more are also paycheck to paycheck. So it's not how much money you make, it's what you do with the money you make, which is why you have to first know how to control your expenses and spend less than what you earn. 
Once you can do that, the next part is now earning more money, increasing your income. This is way more fun, but it's way more beneficial once you know how to control your expenses. Because now once you're earning more money, you don't want to start having this lifestyle inflation where, oh, I made an extra 10 grand, I got to go spend an extra 10 grand. Well, once you can control your expenses, you can earn more and start inflating a lifestyle marginally while increasing your income much larger. You want your income to grow faster than your expenses. So it's kind of like this. You have a widening gap between your income and your expenses. So you can live bigger, but your income's also growing. So you have a bigger margin to invest, which will ultimately earn you more money, which means that you now make more money as well. So it becomes this positive cycle. But when you're not in that situation, it's a negative cycle where your money's, you're working very hard to earn your money. And every dollar you earn is constantly going out to pay your credit card company, to pay your bank back, to pay out your mortgage, to pay off your rent, to pay your car off. And so the first thing is you got to pay off the credit card. And then the second thing you got to do is you got to cut your expenses as much as you can. See what subscriptions you can cancel. See where you can find money. You have so many tools for that. So watch Erica's stuff because <laughs> she has a ton of stuff that you can do to cut your expenses. Then work on increasing your income. And the best example that I can give of this, I love examples as you can see, is if you make $40,000 a year and you tell yourself that you are going to save and invest a quarter of that, that means you're putting aside $10,000. Now, the next mistake that happens is people come in and they say, okay, you know what? I like this financial education thing. I want to save more. I want to invest more. So now you say, I'm going to put aside more than 10 grand. I'm going to try to do even more aggressive saving and investing. And that's fine, but there's a limited pie because I mean, there's a $40,000 pie. And then if you keep squeezing pennies, well, you're just going to keep squeezing yourself thinner. And a penny saved at the end of the day is just a penny. Versus now, let's think a little bit bigger. Where now, what if we, instead of just trying to squeeze more pennies out of this pie, we took it from 40 grand to 400 grand? And if you go from 40 to 400 grand and you put aside the same 25%, well, now you go from putting aside $10,000 to $100,000. It's a lot more money, but you haven't changed the percentage. Now, you might be hearing this thinking, just but how in the world am I going to go from forty dollars to $400,000? Well, you're right. It is difficult, and it might take some time. But the first thing, like I said before, is the mindset, believing you can do it. Because if you tell yourself you can't, you're never going to be able to do it. Once you believe you can do it, well, what's next? Maybe you'll watch some YouTube videos. Maybe you'll read some books. Maybe you'll get inspired and buy some classes. And then you start taking action. Some things will not work. You might lose money on some things. But then some things might, and you might find ways to create a new side hustle, create a new business. You might find ways to earn more at your job. Maybe you get another certificate. Maybe you find ways now to amplify your income or create more income streams. And then you slowly start to build up your income. And this is where, again, right? It's not that six-month plan. We're talking about a 10-year plan where a few years from now, you're going to look back and say, wow, I've really come a huge way. And then if you keep following this investing pattern that we talked about where you keep putting money aside, well, now you have money that's actually working to build you wealth instead of just making everybody else around you richer. And this is where, you know, that mindset, I keep saying this, but the mindset is so, so, so important because if you tell yourself that you need the Gucci, you need the Louis Vuitton, you need the Beamer, you need the Benz right now, and you're not willing to sacrifice that, it is going to be impossible no matter how many hacks, tricks, that you go through to build wealth because you need that mindset shift. You become wealthy in your mindset before you become wealthy in your bank account. And you have to be willing to put in that work to become wealthy in your mindset first. 
to me, there are two themes that people don't really grasp. And one is risk tolerance and the other is time horizon. Yeah. So everyone wants a get rich quick scheme that comes with no risk. They want money fast. They don't want to spend 80 years investing like Warren Buffett has, (laughs) right? What do you say to that? Well, let's talk about risk first because that was the first thing you mentioned. Risk is one of those things where you have to have the appetite for risk and there's no good way to develop it besides doing it. And for me, I was, I'll talk about myself and I try not to be too selfish, but I think sometimes personal stories help. Uh, <laughs> I didn't understand the concept of risk when I was getting started. I didn't even, it was never something that crossed my mind of like, what if something went wrong? Because if I went back, I would no way do what I did. Because for example, the event planning company, extremely risky. Not in a cash sense, but from a liability sense. Because guess what happens? People get intoxicated, they get drunk, they fight each other. And so here I am, 17 years old, hosting these parties where people are fighting each other at two in the morning. And me, being this kid who played football in high school, I'll be the bouncer because I don't want people to get hurt at my parties. So I'm pulling people apart. There's times where I was bleeding. There was times where the first event that we did... um, we were packing up our stuff and one of my DJ friends comes running saying somebody pulled a gun um, because he got into some altercation, not on somebody who was in, in attendance, but with my DJ friend where someone was threatening to pull a gun on him. They went to the car to get a gun. So, you know, it's, it's like risk, right? For about, you know, we were dumb 17-year-old kids just trying to figure it out, trying to uh, do this type of stuff. So yeah, risky and a huge liability because if someone gets hurt, you know, I don't want my name on that lawsuit. I don't have insurance. I don't even know what insurance was. So, you know, you have to be a little bit crazy and a little bit dumb. But then as you progress, like I'm not, again, you know, you're the attorney. So let's put a little disclaimer here that, you know, <laughs> do your own research. But, you know, as you start to grow, you start to know and learn how to manage your risk better. And you start to realize Where's good risk? Where's bad risk? And you you can start to manage it. And because now, yeah, I'm not going to do the same things that I was doing when I was 15 or 17. I'm going to get insurance. I'm going to have good advisors. I can hire these people. And in the beginning, yeah, you might not be able to get it, but sometimes you got to hustle. And hustling is like just figuring it out. Sometimes you just got to figure it out. And then the second part regarding the time horizon is, yeah, you're right. It does take time. You know, you, you hear stories all the time on social media. People are like, oh, I went from zero to six figures in six months. Okay, how? And, you know, it, it doesn't always work like that. Like, that is the exception, not the rule. And sometimes it can be overwhelming to see that. And this is where sometimes you got to cut out the noise. Like, what I did was I got off social media. Meaning, I have, you know, my Instagram pages, but I did not touch my Instagram or any of my social media for about two years. I had my team manage all of my Instagrams, do everything where... I just wanted to get away because you see like these 22-year-olds talking about all this stuff. And I was like, how are you making a million dollars a year at 22 and I'm, you know, 27 or 28, whatever. And I'm trying to figure it out. I mean, I was making good money. Like, don't get me wrong. I was making great money. But, I, you know, you start comparing yourself and doing this and that. And I was like, I don't got time for this. I just got to focus and keep working on me. And that's what I did. And uh, so sometimes you just got to close your eyes and just remember that you're making progress and stop comparing yourself to other people and understand that life and wealth is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And in most of the times, the sprinters are the ones that, you know, we talked about 
that short-term richness is allowed, well, those are the sprinters because those are also the first people to lose it all. And my theory on this has been proven many times over where over the last five to six years, I've seen on social media a number of people rise and fall. People who show it all off and lose it all because they didn't know what they were doing. Maybe they made a little bit of money. Maybe they didn't make any money. They were just lying because that is a big thing on social media. But you see the loud, flashy wealth fail, but the slow, silent, kind of that little, little, little bit of progress, those are the people that become insanely successful because you're not trying to just show it all off. You're doing it for a bigger purpose. Yeah. What else can people be doing to understand the system better? Well, I think one, learning about all the things that I talked about, but then also hiring the right advisors. So the best example I can give you of that would have to do with taxes. Now, taxes as an attorney, you know, are a very complex and a very interesting topic because the IRS puts together this 2,000-some page rule book and they expect you now to just figure it out. Now, the interesting thing about this rule book is it's literally a rule book. It tells you this is what you need to pay taxes on. This is what you don't need to pay taxes on. And there's a lot of times or a lot of ways that you can legally avoid paying taxes if you just know how. Now, how do you learn how? Well, either you can now go and read these 2,000-some pages or watch a whole bunch of YouTube videos and spend a lot of time trying to research and figure out how do I pay less money in taxes. But for most people, they don't want to spend the time doing that. And financially, it's not worth it. So what's the alternative? Well, hire somebody now who can help you. And this is where it really, really, really pays off to have somebody who is actually good, not just at filing taxes, but advising taxes. And this becomes exponentially more important as you earn more money. So for a long time, I had an accountant who was a CPA who filed my taxes. That's all he did. He did my quote-unquote bookkeeping. He didn't give me any like records of my books, but he filed my taxes, meaning he went through my bank accounts, my credit card statements, and every year he filed my taxes and told me to pay this amount of money in taxes. And uh, I would always say, that's a lot of money. He said, yeah. And that was the end of it. <laughs> and it got really bad where one year we filed a tax. told me to pay some money in taxes, a lot of money in taxes. And I said, okay, fine. We spent, spent a lot of money in, in taxes. And then comes January. So that was December. Then comes January. And he says, calls me in the morning. I'm in the office. He goes, hey, Joseph Breath, how are you? I said, good, how are you? He says, hey, listen, um, we had a little bit of a mix-up. I need you to do me a favor and send $100,000 into the IRS by the end of the day today. I said, excuse me? He says, yeah, can you send in 100000 to the federal? And then there was another like 10 or 15 grand or whatever to the state taxes. And I was like, what? He said, yeah, you need to do it by the end of the day today and you're probably going to have a penalty. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I got very upset. No, I don't like arguing for money, but I was, I, you know, you pay for a service. Yeah. And I was upset like, you know, Wait, what do you mean? Like, how, how do I have to pay a penalty? How is it my fault? He said, it's not your fault. And I said, if it's not my fault, why do I have to pay the penalty? And so after that, uh, he got fired <laughs> and I hired a new accountant. Now, I spent a lot of time now looking for a new accountant that was not just going to file my taxes, but I wanted some sort of like tax advising services, which I didn't know if they existed because 
I have already worked with now a few different accountants and I haven't really had much good luck because most of them were just filing my taxes and kind of keeping me out of the loop. But I, I was making more money and now I want like someone to really advise me because like there's so much to tax law because I've studied it. I understand the basics of it. But you know, the, the nuances where every year things change, where I want someone to like literally tell me these are the deductions to take this month. These are deductions to take this year. And so I looked around and I found this guy um, and we became good friends and I went through a, a pretty strict interview process. And he, I hired him to be my tax advisor, my tax planner, and my tax accountant. Now, very different. I, I pay a lot more. I pay significantly more. But now what we do is we meet pretty much every month. And he does all my books. And now every month he gives me a P&Ls and says, this is what your income looks like, your, your expenses and your, your taxable income. And then he says, well, here are the things that you can do this year to help minimize some of your taxes. And this is where now, if you understand how to use the system and how to use a rule book, you can start living your lifestyle and have that be a tax deduction for you. And again, let me give you an example. So here I am in New York. I'm going to be in New York for about a month and a half with my business partner, doing a bunch of business meetings, doing a lot of work, meeting cool people like you, hanging out, but getting to explore one of my favorite places on earth. I love Manhattan. I love it out here. Well, guess what? My business partner is my wife. We get to live in a nice Airbnb. We get to eat out and have nice business meetings. And these things are tax deductions. Now, I didn't know that I could do that until I had a good advisor who could help guide me. And there are so many little things. Like in 2022, President Biden wants to encourage people to eat in restaurants because restaurants were hit so hard after the pandemic. So one of the things that they're doing is creating a 100% meal deduction. But now if you are you know, a business owner, you need to spend money at a restaurant for a meal, a business meeting, it's 100% deductible. So it's, he's like, go eat out as much as you can. Go do as many business meetings as you can. These are interesting things that you learn. One time he told me, he was like, you know, I think you should go get a G-Wagon. It's like, what? G-Wagon? He's like, yeah, I've seen your car. I think you should get a G-Wagon. I said, why? He's like, well, there's a deduction going on through 2022 where you can deduct up to 100% of your business vehicle against your taxes. I was like, what? Well, I don't, what do I need a G-Wagon for? He's like, well... There's this thing that you could say where you are a lifestyle influencer and you need a G-Wagon to help you live and maintain your lifestyle. Now, this is where I was like, you know, that's cool. Like, very interesting. But I didn't want to do that because I was like, ah, I don't want to spend $150,000 on a car. I'd rather do this, this, and that. But this is where now you can start to ask the right questions of not is something deductible, but how can something be deductible? And it's a different shift, but it's having the right advisor. And this is where, and we were talking about this. I, after talking to my advisor, I was like, look, man, there's a huge need for what you're doing because there's a lot of you know, small business owners. There's a lot of contractors. There's a lot of business owners that need better tax advice. Like, how can we do something? So him and I are actually working now to kind of create a luxury tax service for small business owners we're going to start with small business owners to help people manage their taxes better and do the actual tax advising. It hasn't been launched yet, but that's something that we want to do soon. I'll talk about it on theminoritymindset.com. So check it out over there. But this is where, you know, honestly, just having the right advice. And sometimes, you know, you're not going to be able to afford it. 
but this is where, you know, it's understanding that hustle where if you can't afford a great tax advisor, fine. What do you do right now? Well, maybe watch YouTube videos and that might be the right thing right now. And it's the same thing with, with attorneys, right? If you're doing any sort of business or investing work, have a good attorney, especially if you're something like a real estate investor, you need a good attorney. And, you know, sometimes these things are expensive and it's an annoying cost to pay, but it pays for itself many times over. And, you know, I have so many examples of this in the real estate space where and I've been sued before. My real estate company has been sued. And we got sued because I had a tenant slip and fall in the bathtub. And this, the claim was, they said that the bathtub was too slippery when the water was on. That's a true story. And so what did they do? They called up one of the free attorneys who works on, you know, essentially commission and they filed a lawsuit and the judge laughed at it. My insurance company laughed at it. Luckily I had insurance that had, you know, a good attorney represent me. And they were like, you know, this is just one of those things that they're trying to get some insurance money because the insurance company is now going to have to pay my attorney, I don't know, a few hundred dollars an hour to fight this. And either they're going to go down and, and fight it and win, or they're just going to settle and cut the losses. And the attorneys know that they're going to want to settle and cut the losses. And so, you know, it, these are the things where now if you have a good attorney, they can help you stay sane, stay calm, and having the right guidance to get the right insurance to protect you. Because if you're in America, we're, we're the most litigious country in the world. So have the right advisors to protect you. Because as soon as people see you have money, they're going to want to take their hands, put it in your pocket, and take it for themselves. So having good attorneys, having good tax advisors, and you know, being willing to spend money on those because, yeah, it's painful and an annoying thing to spend money on today, but it can save you a huge headache. They can save you a lot of money in the long term. I love the business idea. Thank I think you. that's brilliant. And I also love that in addition to being a content creator and working towards financial literacy for more people, you are also are an entrepreneur yourself and have all of these different businesses. What do you see for yourself? What What is going to be your focus the next five, 10 years? What do you want to build? Well, that's a great question. So the content that I make, you know, th this is my hobby. I, I love making these videos. I mean, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why we've been able to grow quickly is because, you know, I, I come from a place of just me saying what's important to me in a way that's fun. I have a lot of fun on it. I make a bunch of silly jokes. I talk about guacamole because I love guac. I say the word, below, funny, because it's fun for me. Now, I have fun with it, so I enjoy doing that. And I like doing the things that I enjoy. Now, what is going to happen over the next five to 10 years? Well, I really want to work on market briefs and make that a dominant force in the financial news sector to make news more accessible because... I think along with financial education, the financial news is very difficult to understand. Along with that, then I want to help business owners manage their taxes better with this new tax advisory firm. But I also like, I mean, I just love working with entrepreneurs because, you know, that hustler, entrepreneur, the person who, you know, you're trying to figure it out and you want to make a change in the world and you want to do something different. It just provides a different type of energy. And I love working with those types of people. So, you know, what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know what that means, what that translates to. I like investing in startups. I've been doing that. I'll probably continue doing that because it's fun. I love the energy that it gives, but I don't, I don't exactly know. I, I don't really have like, 
I'm not good at making five or 10 year plans because my life is, I feel like kind of like, um, what's that game where you, is that you, you pull the lever, the ball goes, and then it goes like, you know, everywhere and you, the, you keep hitting it with the little <laughs> shifts. I, I don't know what that game is called, but you see it at arcades. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of like what my life is where, you know, you don't always know where the, ne- the ball is going to go next, but keep on working hard, keep working for the purpose, keep working for the passion and keep trying to make an impact. And, you know, we'll see where it goes. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I never expected that I would be on YouTube 10 years ago. I never expected that I would have a financial news company. Five years ago, I never expected, or even two years ago, I never expected that I'd be working in the tax side of things. So, you know, where will life go? Well, we'll, we'll keep working and, and we'll see where it takes us. But it's, it's a journey, it's a roller coaster, and it's a lot of fun. And the most important thing for me is to have fun. And we have a lot of fun in our, in our office and our team. I mean, we, we, we work hard, but we, we, uh, we have a lot of fun as well, where it's a lot of creative energy. And that's the type of thing that I want to be around. I want to be in a place where I can have fun, make an impact, and do something that you know, I'm passionate about. Because if I started doing something because I wanted the money, it becomes a chore and I don't want to do that. And I know that I did kind of go down that route for a little bit. I think a lot of YouTubers do where around 500,000 or so subscribers. That was when I first started being presented with a lot of sponsorship opportunities. And I started taking some of them or a lot of them. And then I was like, you know, I'm doing this for sponsors. I'm not doing this for me. And so I completely stopped that after a little while. And I was like, forget this. I'm going back to why I started. And it's funny, as soon as I started like making my own type of videos again, talking about the things that I want to talk in my own tone, our channel started to grow very quickly again. <laughs> so it was like, man, it was, it was just like a telling sign that, you know, just keep focusing on what you're doing, keep making an impact. And one of our core values at the Minority Mindset Companies is always lead with value. And the money and everything is a byproduct of the value that you provide. But what I've seen from my own life and my own experiences, if I keep providing the value and I keep that value first, value driven, everything else kind of just falls into place. Like when I started Market Briefs, for example, I'll tell you a quick story. I didn't start Market Briefs as a business idea. I started Market Briefs because I started making, this is close to now when the 2020 pandemic was starting, things were getting literally crazy in the news. And I started covering a little bit of it on YouTube. And I was having a tough time keeping up with everything. So I told my team, I said, hey, can you give me like a little curated email of what's happening? That way I know where to look and I know what's going on. That way like I know what to make videos on. They said, okay, and they started doing that. And I was like, well, I wonder if my audience would be interested in this. And so like slowly during the pandemic, I started talking about it. Hey, if you want a, like a free update of what's happening, check out this newsletter. It was like the Minority Mindset newsletter. It was like, I don't even have a name for it. And we just did that. No way to make money, no monetization, anything. It was just a newsletter that, hey, here's what's happening in the news. And it started to grow and people really liked it. Well, that kept growing. And then towards the end of 2021, I was like, well, okay, we have a newsletter that's growing. We're not making any money, but you know, we can figure out what to do with this now. And that's when we determined to make Market Briefs its own company. And now... 2022, Market Briefs is my number one focus. So it started, again, not as anything like particular. It was, it was a hobby. It was uh, something to keep me updated. But now it is a full, one of the fastest growing newsletters on the internet. And we are making a huge impact. And you know, it, we didn't know how we were going to monetize. And now we have a whole business development team that's working to do that. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just kind of funny where, for me, when you lead with value, the money follows.
A hundred percent agree. That's amazing. We have a closing tradition on the podcast. The podcast is called Erica Taught Me, but actually today is about just Brie Taught Me. So what do you want people to walk away from this podcast being able to say, just Brie taught me this? Well, I'm going to do two things if that's okay. Yeah. First, I'm going to do one that Erica taught me because uh, <laughs> you had this little tip about AirPods where if you go to the Apple store, they'll give you a free pair of AirPods if they're not working. And uh, two days ago, I did that. I went to the Apple store on Manhattan. I got a brand new pair of AirPods. So Erica taught me that. Good. <laughs> uh, what did Jaspreet teach me? Well, the first thing is that you can do anything that you want. And one of the biggest things that hold people back from doing what it is, quote, that you want is… You're not going to be able to make enough money by doing that. Well, this is where now the financial education can allow you to do what it is that you want. I always liked the idea of being a teacher growing up, but being a teacher doesn't pay. Well, now I have the ability to be a teacher and make a great income where it's if you know the financial education, you can do whatever it is that you want, but you need Again, everything that we talked about, you need the right mindset, the right work ethic, then you need the right financial education to be able to put it in action. And knowing that no matter where you come from, no matter what you look like, it is possible for you if you're willing to put in the work. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Eric. It was an honor to be on with you. If you enjoyed today's episode, check out Jaspreet's YouTube channel called Minority Mindset. I'll put the link in the show notes. And I have a huge favor to ask. It would mean a lot if you could take a moment to leave a review for the podcast. Even just one sentence is perfect. It really helps support the work that we're doing. Thank you so much for choosing to spend your time with me today. And I'll talk to you next Tuesday on a brand new episode of Erica Taught Me. See you then.